Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Ain't no telling what I'm going to (laughs) do. I may have a song down inside my heart. (laughs) And why y'all laugh at that? (laughs) I know this is not proper to say it this way, but that ain't right. Exodus chapter 25, we're going to start reading at verse 23. As you're getting there, turning there, waiting to be awakened, (laughs) Uh, just a couple of announcements. Um, I do take very seriously what God is going to be doing in our country over the next just little while. Um, I feel led by God. I'm just, I'm not saying this because of any, any clout toward my direction at all, but I just... I want to say this so that I can invite anybody who is willing to, to do this with me. I'm going to be fasting on, on November the 3rd. Um, you don't have to. I'm not asking you to do so. But just take an opportunity. All I'm asking is that you take an opportunity and, and pray. Take an opportunity to ask God's blessing and God's favor. Um, this is something I felt led that, that I, was, I needed to do, and if there's anybody that would like to join me in that, you are welcome to do so. Pray, take an, you know, maybe your fast is getting up 30 minutes early, early, earlier and praying. <laughs> maybe you need to fast 30 minutes of sleep, I don't know. Maybe you just need to put some of the Halloween candy down. See, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I'm fasting, because what you don't know is I knew this was coming, so I've been tanking up on Halloween candy. Hey, they already put that stuff on clearance. Me and Clarence know how to shop together. Can y'all say amen? Good, I'm glad y'all know how to shop with Clarence. Uh, but no, it just, it just feels like it's, it's time, it's season to do that. Uh, just that, that day we're, I'm going to be doing that. So just whatever you feel comfortable with. Maybe, maybe it's just you know, fasting 10 minutes of TV. Turn the news off for a second and pray. I mean, you know, we should probably be doing some of that anyways, right? Uh, but just take an opportunity to do so. Uh, I think that would be a great way that us, uh, for us as a church to be able to do that. So um, we are not going to be able to have our worship night tonight. Brother Evan, who's going to lead that uh, worship tonight, he's sick. Uh, we're hoping that he's okay. Haven't heard too much other than he thinks it's mostly just the crud. He hasn't got tested, but he has gotten a bit sick, and he just didn't, he wanted to be a little bit cautious, so we are going to be cautious with that as well. Um, so that's why we had special time today, and, and you know, maybe guess why God wanted it worked out, where it was going to be more of uh, more of the people of the church really joining in on that, because I do believe that's what he's moving this church to, more of an opportunity of just being led by the Spirit in times of prayer, and just, just let God do what God wants to do. Amen? How many of you like to see God move? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm hoping that uh, our hunger for for that will increase. Uh, Today, that's what this is about. In fact, I know we we prayed quite extra today. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Thank you, worship band and and Pastor Stephanie, for for leading that. Your fingers, are they numb yet from 
you know. <laughs> so I, I appreciate her doing that and leading and them leading. Thank you so much. But I believe that God is taking us to a place where we need to, we're not going to get to unless we're hungry for him. All right, really hungry for him. All right, Exodus chapter 25, starting at verse 23. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. And make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around. And you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Everybody say always. Jump over to John chapter 6 verse 35. How many of y'all knew this was coming? Right. John chapter six, verse thirty five. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let's just go to the Lord. I know we've been praying a lot, but let's just do it one more time. Might as well get in a good habit. Right. Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, this word is yours. So have your way with it. Lord, I just want to be a vessel. I just want to be a vessel, oh God. Whatever you want to do in me, through me, with me, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Forgive me for just the sinner that I am. And pray, Father God, that you would take this this word and you would sow it forth in our spirit man. Just as if we are eating the literal bread. I pray, God, that as we would receive that down inside of us. May we receive this living word down inside of us spiritually as well. We do love you. We do honor you. We thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Turn your neighbor and say, wake up now. Amen. We are... Obviously, talking about, because uh, we've been in the tabernacle and how that shows us kind of this, this pattern of worship that pleases God. Not that it has to be a certain style of worship, or, uh, but it's more a, a, a methodology that we can understand that God has this walk, he, this path He wants us to walk through. And all through that tabernacle, from the, from the entering into the only gate, which we know pointed out as Jesus Christ, to that altar of sacrifice which thank God for his sacrifice that put us on this path, right? Amen. To, to be able to worship God that 
that through his sacrifice, our worship can be heard. Through his sacrifice, we can enter into the, 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 the holy place where God sits upon his throne. And we're able to approach the throne of grace boldly because of what he has done. And as we then, enter, as we then go to that bronze laver, we find out that he washes us and cleanses us continually so that we may continue to serve him and love him and worship him and honor him and all that we do because he knows he knows this old world is dirty right he knows this old world is messy and so I don't know about you but I need just to continually be washed by his presence and his word and and his truth and the Holy Spirit just continue to sanctify me and move me uh, in the direction he has for me to do. And then as we walk into that, that tent of meeting, we were first hit with the aroma. We talked about that, that incense that represents prayer and how it rises to God and how that prayer intermingles with his prayer as he's interceding for us and we're praying and all of this is coming together. And then as that is all happening, we turn to, we realize that we're able to actually see in that place due to the candlelight that's lit there and that candlelight is that his presence his word is lighting our path and showing us what to do and how to do that and then now we're moved on to the north side of that tent tent of meeting where the table of showbread is um the 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 table of showbread which was what we just read about is a table that god by his by his will to be done by by the the types and the shadows of what's in the heavenlies to be put down here to teach us a lesson that he gave us this pattern to make this table to put bread on it. And he said to do so continually, always, that there was never a time for this bread not to be there before him, which is interesting. And what does that mean to us in our worship and what we were supposed to be? How do we respond to God in that okay so that's what we're going to talk about i will not hold you uh, very long in the in the preaching of that because really um it's it's really very simple to get but extremely profound and powerful to do okay but you know me i'm going to take something that should take five minutes to to explain and go 45 minutes with it right y'all, y'all look at me nervous because you know every time i say i'm not going to hold you long you're like oh we're gonna be here till two <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that for you. Um, so let, let's dive on into this, this table of showbread. I do have a couple of pictures that might help you out, get a, get a mental picture of that. Brother Eli, can you? There you go. There's the first picture. Um, you've probably seen different renditions of this, this table of showbread that was there in the holy place. And uh, there, there are different translations, interpretations, Different renditions, different ways of looking at it. Um, we, we now know more tradition than some of that rabbinical tradition has now come out that we can now look at and see uh, a little bit more clearly. Maybe not perfectly, but a little bit more clearly. But that is one rendition, and it looks like a, looks like a baker's rack, doesn't it? <laughs> Hit the next one, Brother Eli. Here is... Um, it's a little fuzzy, I realize, I'm sorry. It was about the best we could do to get the pictures this big so y'all could see this. Um, but you can kind of see on the left-hand side that there is that, that rack again with all of these loaves. Now, if you can see, you'll probably notice that the loaves are a little bit different than just, say, a loaf of bread, or what we think about as a loaf of bread. Um, 
This loaf is baked a little differently, so much so that it's supposed to have like an opening on the center. And I was so hoping that was to be filled with jelly. <laughs> like a donut or, or chocolate or vanilla cream or, you know, something like that. I, I don't think it was. Uh, I do apologize if you're on the keto diet. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Get off of that stuff until after Christmas. This I'm saying that because I can't stay on it right now. <laughs> so you make me feel better if you don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, but but this, uh, this is most likely what they looked like that we can best guess, best interpret. Um, the, you also notice that they're a lot bigger than we realize, right? Um, that these things are actually somewhere between 10 and 11 pounds a piece. Now that's a big, that's a big pancake, <laughs> Uh, that, that, but they they are also, as you can see, a lot bigger, a lot heavier, and there's a lot more to it than just baking some bread, some biscuits, and throwing it out there. Okay, hit that next slide. This is um, this is some of somebody already saw it and said this is their favorite one because it reminds them of donuts. All right, that um, how many of you would how many of you would uh, take the challenge of the 11 pound donut? <laughs> Right, <laughs> this this bread, uh, this show bread that was to be before the Lord. One one says one translation says show bread, and another one um, says uh, bread of presence. And uh, the literal Hebrew translation to this is face bread, or bread of the face of God, which is why he says, "Always have it before me." That the work and the service that was to be done there in this holy place um, was to be done in the presence of this bread that was always there. In fact, every Sabbath they would bring in 12 new loaves. We, we know that there were 12 loaves, one for every tribe of, of Israel. And that they would put them there on this bread or on this table fresh every Sabbath. And that the old bread would then be taken off. And it was miraculous how the fact that by tradition, the Bible doesn't exactly say this, but by rabbinical tradition, we've read about some things that have said that it was miraculous in two ways. Number one, that this had set out in this tent for, for like seven days almost, right? Almost seven days. And yet there was no mold and it was not stale at all. Okay, and the other miraculous part of this was that they would take this and they would divide this bread up for the priesthood to eat. And they actually said that a piece the size of an olive would be enough to fill a grown person for that day. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Say amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You make me not feel... Made me not feel so bad that I'm not the only one that likes to eat bread, right? I have here just just a little bit of. In fact, Eli has promised me not to defile all this bread because he wants to eat some of it afterwards. But in fact, I broke it open and I laid it there, and within 30 seconds, Eli goes, "I smell pizza." That's my boy, right? How many of you love bread? Oh, yeah, come on. You, I know you've told yourself you don't because you're not supposed to anymore, right? But I love bread. I do. I, I love bread. I could sit down at, at 
whatever steakhouse there is, and then they bring that bread out, I just keep the tab rolling. Just, just keep it, keep, keep it coming. I, mean, I, I make myself pull back at a, a dozen or so. Uh, but I could, I could literally eat bread all the time because I do. I love that. Well, I'm not the only one that likes bread. Obviously, God likes bread. Thank you very much. And so I feel like I'm doing my, my duty as a child of God every time that I eat this bread. That's, how I, what I, that's the way I talk to myself, to encourage myself, right? And then I get talking to the doctor, and he discourages myself. But bread is really important to God. And what we want to look at real quickly is why was it so important to God? Now, God didn't eat this. This was not, he didn't say, hey, put it there so that uh, you'd come back in the night and there'd be like nibbles out of it and bites out of it. It's not like Santa's cookies that you put them out and, oh, Santa was here because the cookies are eaten. Um, it's not like that. It's, it's, this was, God had for whatever, even though he's a spirit and he doesn't necessarily, that we know of, partake of this bread like we think we, that we, like we do. But yet he says, always keep this bread before me here in this holy place. And so while miraculously it never got moldy or never got stale, and miraculously just a little bit would fill up a grown man supposedly, yet every Sabbath they would bring in some more fresh bread. Always keep it before me. Now we know that in their day, what this literally meant was that he wanted to be the one that sustains us. That's why Jesus said, pray this, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And it's pretty interesting that this bread was here in the tabernacle, in this tent of meeting, always to be before the presence of God, at the exact same time that every single day what was happening to the children of Israel as they're wandering through the wilderness, right? They're wandering through the wilderness and they're picking up the omers of this manna. Uh, the, the literal translation to manna is, what is this? They didn't even exactly know what this was. They just know that every single day God rained down bread, I like to say donut holes, Rain it down from heaven, and all of a sudden it sh- it showed up, and that's great. And it, they, when they say, "What is this?" Can I tell you what one rabbinical tradition says? That one guy actually stepped out of his tent and stepped in it and went, "Man, ah!" Literally, that's really y'all. I'm, that's not a joke. That's what they said, and they step back and go, "What is this stuff?" I wonder who was the first person that said, "I don't know. Let's eat it." How many of you would be that one? (laughs) But they would never know unless one person says it's close enough to God to go, no, that's not for stepping in or walking around or walking on. That's not for treading on. That's for eating. So I wonder who was the one close enough. Well, obviously it was the one who has spent time in the presence of God, whether it's through the priesthood or Moses himself. It was the one that was close enough to God that was able to translate to everybody else out there, hey, this stuff that you're seeing, don't walk on it. Don't treat it as mundane. Don't treat it as, as something that's not important. You treat it as something that is, is, is very special because it came from God himself. I'm going somewhere with this. How many times have I treated certain things of God like it was mundane? 
and just used it for my own advantage that I can step on it and walk the path that I think that I want for my life. Instead of humbling myself down and realizing that I did nothing to, to, to put this here. God chose by His own will and His own divine plan to put this here before me so that I would have enough to sustain me. So that I would have enough to walk the life that He's given me out before Him. And that my life would be a life, hopefully, a gift back to Him. It's the blessing of being hungry. How many of y'all have ever been hungry? How many of y'all get hangry when you get hungry? You know what that is? Yeah, okay. How many of you, you're not yourself when you get hungry? Now, what does that do? It makes you want to do something about it, doesn't it? Even if it means grab something that's a snack or grab something that may not be the best for you or grab something that will just tie you, whatever it is, there's something about being hungry that causes you to have an action there with that, that causes you to move, it causes you to go do something. I've heard lots of motivational speakers in my life and, and I've, I've read a lot of their books, but almost all of them have this common theme to it. Whatever it is you're hungry enough to do, then that's what you'll succeed at. And until you are hungry enough to do something about something, then nothing will ever change. God designed us to be able to get full and then hungry again. Isn't that amazing? That it wasn't just something we did as we were a kid. We just, all right, we took a bottle, we filled up, and that's all we're ever going to need ever for the rest of our life. No, he knows that we're constantly growing and changing. And then when we get old, we constantly change in different ways, right? But all this is going on before us because he knows we need something every single day to sustain us. Now, my question is, What somethings have we been reaching for? (laughs) Jesus came to us. You know, I don't ever remember having the conversation with God in heaven one day and saying, Hey, send your son down for me. I'm going to need it. Maybe maybe y'all were there, but I, I wasn't there. But just because it wasn't my idea, did that stop God? That for some crazy reason, he thought, I'm going to need to give them something. In my case, someone. That as they take part in his life, and the process he went through for us, that they would have life and be able to sustain them. Not just for the day, but eternally. Y'all remember the, uh, the, the, the passage of Scripture in all four Gospels? It's one of the, one of the uh, few miracles that all four Gospels have. It's the feeding of the 5,000, right? And how wonderful and miraculous that was. And how Jesus took that bread. The Bible says He took those five loaves and the two fish. And He, he took the bread first. It never said He took the fish, but it did say He took the bread And it said that He raised it up, right? And then He blessed it. And then He broke it. And then He 
gave it. He raised it up. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. What Jesus is saying is that there's this process to the bread of life thing. And that's how we think of, when we think of bread, we think of, oh, this this yummy good stuff. But how many of you think about the poor person that was either in the factory or in the kitchen and had to slave over putting it together? Had to work at putting it together. When, when I think of bread, I think of where's the extra butter? Okay? I don't think of, oh man, who was the one that farmed this? Who was the one that processed all of this to get it to me where I could enjoy? Why? Because I'm so caught up in the here and the now and the what I want out of it that I leave out the entire process. And Jesus, in His miracle, showed us the process. The same process that He was going to go through. He said He raised it. Which means he, he literally lifted his face and his, and his eyes and the bread toward heaven and he raised it up as if to say, when I am raised up, I will draw all men unto me. Because he knows that was the reason why he was the process that we are going to get to take advantage of to be able to be sustained, not just for one day in a wilderness moment, but for our entire eternal existence. That's why he could, and he alone could say, I am the bread of life. So he raised it up as, as, as if also to say, Lord God, Heavenly Father, you're the one that's causing all of this to happen. You're the one that's making it happen. You're the one that is the sustainer. You're the one that decided to put the bread and the presence before us every single day. It was you. And then it says that he blessed it, which means he thanked God for it. Jesus later in the garden said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Because I realized that what I would like to do is just tread on this situation and move on. But what you're wanting to do is take me as an offering. And what you're wanting to do is get past all of that crust called flesh and get down to the life of the bread. The part where all of that comes together and does something kind of magical when you bake it. When He said, thank you, Lord, and He blessed it. When He said that He then broke it. He then broke it. That's why Jesus later, before He goes to the cross, He takes them to the upper room and He does what? As He breaks the bread, He says, this is for you. This is for you. He's saying that that what's on the inside of me is going to come out. And it's going to come out so that whatever's on the inside of me can sustain you Eternally. Then he gave it. He passed it out. Here you go. There you go. Y'all ever been to Lambert's? (laughs) Brother Randy? I'm still pretty good shot. 
<laughs> Any kiddos back there want some bread? Here you go, James. There you go. Give him a hand. <laughs> he gave it. He was willing to give of himself, not just... It's like the widow woman who gave the two mites, right? The, the, just the two little coins, and then there was someone right beside her. Man, oh, he gave... He gave he gave $10 out of his $100 bill, but she gave two little coins out of what? Out of everything. And he says, which one moves God more? Which one moves God more? And he said, I give everything. I give it all. Every drop of blood. It's yours. Why? So that you could take advantage of his life in a way that you could now be in the presence of God. That whatever he has on the inside of him is your life now. My question, last question before I close, I'm going to close with a video. Actually, it's Sister Sandra's fault. Um, she gave me a video. Everybody point to her. Ha ha. No. Uh, she, gave, she showed me a video, and I've seen this story before, but not in this setting, not with um, this video. And it's a really powerful story, and it reminded me. I was actually looking for a, something to go along with this, and boom, she did it. God helped me out a little bit. But my last question before I show the video is this. How hungry are you for God? How hungry are you to do things His way? How hungry are you to spend time with Him? How hungry are you? Because the bottom line is, until you get hungry enough, you're not going to eat. Not in a way that's going to really do you any good. I'm not talking about grazing on peanut M&Ms all day long. I'm talking about really... Getting hungry enough to do something about it. Getting hungry enough to go change something. To go change the atmosphere. Getting hungry enough to, to take advantage of the life He's given us and do something about it. I know a lot of people that say they want to see God move. That's great. And I pray that they continue to say that. But I think God is waiting for those words like seeds to be sown down in the heart that it begins to beat and move and change that person to where they go and then do what they're hungering for. That they go and take time to be with God and be in His presence. You know what? There is one common factor with every great man and woman of God. Everyone you can think of both in today's world and in days gone by. One common factor. It wasn't that they were smarter than everybody. It wasn't that they were taller than everybody or stronger than everybody. It wasn't because they were the best speakers always or the best singers always. 
It wasn't because that they were miraculously born. We only know of Christ being that. It wasn't because uh, they had something extra special about them per se, other than this. They relied on God more. That's it. They really relied on God more than anything else. See, I'm really good about trying to handle it all myself, and then I get frustrated. And God lets me get frustrated. And then when I get frustrated and I start, well, some say griping. I, I don't say griping. It's more, of a, it's more of a constructive venting. But it's like finally God says, you done? And when I am, I finally come to him. Where I should have been in his presence all along. But I've gotten to the point where I don't want to just step on the stuff that God has given me to sustain me. Even if it means I've got to humble myself down. And get it. Fold my knees up and bow my head and realize that if you're going to do anything, Lord, you can use me for that. I'm your servant. Y'all ready for a video? Then we're going to close her down. It's like five minutes long. Y'all be. It was the 1940s or so when there was a professor who was in England. His name was Professor Orr, O-R-R. He taught theology at a university there. He decided to take some of his theology students, this is the 1940s, he decided to take them on an excursion, a field trip, so to speak. And so he gathered up his students and he said, we're going to go visit some of the historical places here in England that have some sort of theological significance. He took them to many religious sites, some that had been very strategic in the building up of the church and in um, the Christian faith. And one of the places that they visited was the Epworth uh, Rectory, which would have been the home, the living place, the study place of one of the great reformers of the church. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley sort of put in place much of the theology upon which the church that you attend, that I attend, a lot of that foundational theology was crafted by reformers like John Wesley. So John Wesley would study, he would teach, he would preach, he would pray that revival would spread out, not only in England, but he prayed for it here in our country, that would, revival would break out. He and others like him ushered in, in prayer, some of the great revivals that swept through America in the early 1900s, where people in mass were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, where the heavens seemed to be open in an unusual way and revival broke out in a way that has made the history books that we still look back on now and recognize the fire of God's spirit that spread during that time period. It's because guys, many of them, like John Wesley, were on their knees praying that God would move. 
So these theology students went and they visited this rectory, this house where he lived, and they went in the kitchen. Professor Orr showed them all where John Wesley would have uh, eaten his uh, lunch and his dinners, where he would have cooked, where he would have lived his life there, took him into the study where John Wesley would have studied. These theology students were enamored because, of course, some of the old books that John Wesley would have studied from, that he had written in, some of those notes they had preserved, they were still there on the desk and on the bookshelf. And so the theology students were feeling the, the spines of those books, just enjoying the richness of this history. And then Professor Orr walked the students up to the second floor where the, the most intimate quarters of John Wesley would have been his bedroom, walked in the bedroom, and the students began to file around the bed in the tiny space in that bedroom. And as they all filed into the room, one of them noticed as they got around the far side of the bed that there were two um, small patches, well-worn patches in the carpet fibers of the floor. They were right next to each other and they were beside the bed. And he, he asked his professor about those patches that were worn right there beside the bed. And Professor Orr explained that it is said that those two patches were the actual places where every single morning, not for a minute or two, but for several hours on end, John Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed. And he had prayed so long and so hard for revival that his knee had, knees had actually imprinted themselves onto the floor. That the carpet fibers were, were worn as he prayed for revival. So the students stood in there for a moment. And after a few moments, they left the room. They went downstairs. They all got on the bus to go to the next location. Professor Orr stood at the front of the bus, counted the students to make sure everybody was there. And he realized one was missing. He walked back into the house, went into the kitchen to look for the student, nobody was there, went into the study to look for the student, nobody was there, walked up the stairs into the bedroom, and he could just see across the other side of the bed the head and shoulders of a student who had planted his knees down in those well-worn patches on the floor. And he could hear the student praying, do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? And would you do it again with me? Professor Orr walked around the side of the bed. He put his hand on the, the shoulder of the student, and he said, it's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went and joined the rest of the students on the bus that day. And then, God did it again. And I just wonder what would happen if this week there were some people who were brave enough to say, Lord, would you do it again? Would you not allow me to be a Christian in name only? Would you make it so that I'm so uncomfortable with being a nominal Christian who just comes to church, who just reads a verse a day to keep the devil away, who's just a good person, but isn't a person who is completely sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ? Lord, would you make it so that I am different and unique and set apart and filled by the Holy Spirit of God? Lord, would you do it again? And would you let it start with me? I'm praying for revival. 
I'm talking about straight up old school flat-footed revival. I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit breaks out so clearly and so fully that there is not one person that walks the face of the earth that does not know that there is a God somewhere and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. Lord, do it again. Amen. I do not. Go ahead. Give, give the Lord a hand for that. I don't own the rights to that video, but the next time I see her, I'll tell her thanks. <laughs> Just wonder if there's anybody here who's hungry enough to say, here I am, God. Whatever you want to do, here I am. You've recognized some, your need for him. And at first it seems like weakness. At first it seems like a breaking. And you're in those moments where you recognize just how much you need him. It first seems like a breaking. But really that's God's way of getting down to the, to the most inner part of you so that he can reveal to you the most inner part of himself. And when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, he that, he that let me paraphrase, he that eats me, you'll never hunger again. And he that drinks me, you'll never thirst again. He never said you wouldn't ever go hungry again. He never said that you wouldn't be thirsty again. He said you would never hunger for anything else and you'd never thirst for anything else. That when you had me, when you had him, when you had Jesus Christ, you'd recognize that's all you needed for whatever situation you're in. I mean, if you're hungry to see a situation change, and you're thinking, oh, well, we've got to have this, we've got to get this, this has got to do, got to do this, got to... you need Jesus. Oh, there may be some stuff to do, but, but you need Jesus first. Always. That the bread would always be there for you. Would you stand? If you're hungry for God to just do something in your life, would you raise your hand to him right now and say, God, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Lord, I know some things need to change. I, I know some things in this world need to change. And God, I realize that all this stuff that I've gone through is just one thing. It's, it's exposed how much this world really needs you the sustainer. You created life and you know how, alone know how to sustain it. So I recognize, Lord God. And so I pray as I give you my hand, may I also give you my heart. I need you. I need you, Lord, to sustain me. I need your life-giving force to be my life force. I need you. I need you. And I pray, Lord, that in the sound of my voice, there be at least one person in this building and, or maybe one person online that would truly hunger for God in such a way that they'd put aside some things of this world and the very thing that they were just treading on and acting nonchalantly about would be the very thing that they humble themselves down into
and they pray and they seek God and they worship and they praise and they serve and they seek and they worship and they pray and they serve and they seek and they worship and they pray and they serve and they seek and they worship and they pray and they serve. Lord, that somebody would say, do it again in me. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's for dinner? Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.